0: All right, um, so Revelation, it's one of the most thought-provoking, controversial, like, that's kind of crazy books of the entire Bible. For those of you who are searching, you're skeptical, you're thinking this thing through, you're on the road to discovery, I want to encourage you, there's a gold mine of insight um, and just nuggets to find uh, in this book of Revelation. We're going to be digging into it for the next seven weeks. Today we're just kind of opening up, getting the big idea, that sort of thing. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, maybe with Christianese, Christian, Christianity, the church, I want to submit to you with a sense of urgency uh, that we need to detox from some of the maybe ideas, assumptions we have from the book of Revelation, right? I mean, you know, we got beasts, dragons, weird ladies in dresses. What is going on? What's the big idea? You know what I mean? What's, what's the big picture here in the book of Revelation? I want you to think real quick. This might be kind of hard. It's not the most positive thing to do. Uh, think of a time when someone you loved and cared about and gave yourself over to, um, and they just lied to you. It's like to your faith. And you know in the moment that they're, that they're lying to you. Think about that. You know, your, your stomach's kind of going to your throat. The anxiety's spiking in your mind. Um... It's a, you feel kind of helpless, you know what I mean? Or maybe it's the opposite. You're, there's someone you care about, and you're loving them, you're caring for them, and and, and they don't trust you. They think they, they think you're lying to them. They think you know you have some hidden agenda or something. Um, that's kind of what I think we're going to be dealing with with the book of Revelation. We kind of have to fight um, lies. Now I'm not talking like the weird, like you know, like like fundamentalist, like everyone's lying to us and so we got to take charge. I'm just saying like the We need to search, honestly, uh, for the truth of the situation. No one says it better, I think, than Mr. Tyler Durden, right, Fight Club, right, whatever happened to him. Do you remember this when he said, man, I see in Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who've ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see squandering. I see an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of history, no purpose of place. We have no great war to fight, no great depression to suffer in. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars because we're special, right? Isn't that what we're told from day one? But deep down, We won't get that life, and we know it. We're slowly learning that fact, and we're very, very pissed off. That's Tyler Durden. (laughs) So just to connect it to maybe our lives, have you ever noticed that a good chunk of the church world and here in the West and America and the South and the Bible Belt, um, maybe, I know this is a strong word, but maybe we're pissed off Because God is not giving us the life we think we're owed. And then somehow it kind of trickles down into the church. We expect the church and God to be kind of this goofy, naive yes man who just kind of tells us that we're special and awesome. You know what I mean? Everything's going to be okay. Those of you here who are kind of wrestling with truth and spirituality, you know this from the outside looking in. You see it when you examine the church, right? Um, I don't know. What, one of the main goals, this is the big idea for the entire series, is that um, this guy named Jesus is awesome. He's a victorious king. Um, and insofar as we see that, only then are we going to be okay um, as we look at his uh, beautiful face. Um, real quick, I'm breaking like every rule right now. I'm reading another quote. There's this um, thoughtful, intelligent um, compassionate doctor in the 1950s. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, he turned into a minister uh, later on in his life. A lot of people in our circles look up to this man. And um, he had this quote. He uses military language, so it might sound kind of extreme in our culture, but but hear this out, because this the series has a lot of military language in it. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the main problem in church culture today is that most Christians see the Christian life as a sort of clinic, um, as a hospital to take care of them. They refuse to forget about their temporary ills and their problems. They refuse to insist to fight in the army of God that they were designed to find meaning, fulfillment, and happiness in, even amongst suffering. The church is an army, says Jones. We fight in the greatest campaign the universe has ever known. Now, some of you are saying this. This is like one of the two Bible verses you have memorized. You're thinking, but Jesus said that the church is a hospital for sinners, right? Right? Army, what are you talking about? But, sorry, not but, you're right. The, the church is a hospital for saints. But please, friends, don't be deceived or our King, our Doctor, Jesus, He 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 meets us where we are, and He sends us back in to the world to find more people who need to be healed. Please don't be deceived, because this is one of the big focuses of the Book of Revelation. We're going to have to get over ourself. It's going to be hard, um, but I'm just trying to kind of give us a fair warning if we're going to see the Book of Revelation for what it says. So, that's kind of intense. We're going to have two main characters in the book of Revelation. you got Jesus, and you have John, right? They, they both war against this idea that, um, you know, Christianity and Jesus revolves around self, revolves around you, revolves around me. Um, they war against that, against Christianity as therapy, Right? Uh, You know Christianity as therapy is present when God and the church exist to take broken people and to provide them with spiritual goods and services to make them feel like everything's going to be all right. It's a therapy session. You see, the nature of therapy in this sense is that it shelters you. It's actually designed to keep you there. Does that make sense? They don't really want you to get out. That's the nature of therapy see, Christianity is altogether different. It is therapy, but it's, but it's, it's beyond that. It, it, you're healed and you're sent to find more people who need to be healed. That's what happens. So I guess therapy looks humble, and it, and it can be. There's a place for it. But Christianity is humble. It, it's for the weak. I mean, by, na- by, by definition, Christianity is for the weak, for those who are desperate and need help. How jacked up would it be if, if Christianity was only for the weirdos? You know, ju- it's just for the Christian who all day is singing prom songs to Jesus all during the day, and then at night, you know, he's like cleaning his purity ring with like WD-40. That'd be so weird if that's what Christianity was for, right? Please be encouraged. Let us not forget Christianity is for the weak things of the world, the abused, the stained, the weak. And this victorious king enters into the world to to clean you, to heal you, to transform you, and to send you into the world to find more people just like you, right? John's going to force us almost to think like this in, in the book of Revelation, He's going to force us to go. Okay, okay, okay. I get, I get it. Jesus loves me. He wants to take care of me, and he wants to send me to be his presence in the world. That's a huge theme of the book of Revelation, right? So this is about to get uncomfortable. So think about this. You were, um, maybe you were abused, right? I want to get real nitty gritty. You were abused. And it's, it was bad, right? Um, you're on the side of the road, right? Beaten, whatever it might be, taken advantage of. Uh, Jesus rescues you. He cleans you. He makes you pure and lovely in his eyes. And he sends you back out. He sends you. He doesn't keep you in therapy. He sends you back out to help more people who are abused, right? Maybe you're mentally insane, Right? pretty sure that's safe to say there's some mentally insane people. Who isn't mentally insane? You know what I'm talking about? Mentally insane. We have mental health issues that are real, right? They're very real issues. Jesus meets you where you are and he, he, he rescues you. It's not like you're magically fine all of a sudden, you know, psychologically, but, but you're with him. He heals you even amongst the, the, the storm of life and he sends you back in to help reach more people with mental health issues, right? How weird would that be if Jesus was like, every day I'm just going to tell you how messed up you are, and that's it. You're just kind of stuck. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? I don't want to be part of that movement. You're, <laughs> I'll let you up for a breath here in a second. You're addicted to porn, sexuality, whatever it might be. Um, or you were. Only a victorious king who you can't control can, can save you from that. He, he comes in and he rescues you, he transforms you, and I'm hoping you've declared war on it. If not, you're just going to stay there. But, and, he, and he sends you out to help more people, men or women, who struggle with it. Do you see what I'm getting at? I'm trying, what I'm trying to press home, which is what John is going to press home, is that God meets you where you are. You right? might want to write this down. He meets you where you are, but he doesn't keep you where you are. Right? That's the nature of grace. It works. Right? It works. It's not stagnant. It's an amazing thing. It's a powerful thing. Now, don't hear me wrong. You're not saved by it, by works. That's the whole point. God's working through you. We're not, I mean, we're just passive in the whole thing, All right? So I know some of you, um, you know, you're saying, okay, I get it, but this is intense. You know, army, you know, sin, mission, whoa, you know, that's, where, where's the care? Where's the help? You know what I mean? Because I'm messed up. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yes, I am. We're, we're really jacked up, right? Um, that's a good question, but you're coming from the wrong foundation. You're still missing the point. Um, The church cares for each other more than any other family on earth. We pray for each other. We check in with one another. We love one another. We have groups like redemption groups to help us deal with intense um, compulsive issues we're dealing with. But the whole point is not to keep you there. It's to send you and equip you, right? Amen? We'll be patient with you just like God is. But we don't miss the plan of God in the process right? All right, let's get the, uh, just the first scripture up there. We're really only going to focus on this the whole time, right? It's just the opening kind of line to the book of Revelation, right? So let's try to detox from all our um, possible misconceptions. It's going to take time, um, but here's what, here's what John says. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. See, we got a sense of urgency from the start here. It must soon take place, right? Here's the big idea. Here's like the big idea, right? Revelation works from the top down. Revelation is something you receive that you can't control, right? Speculation works from the bottom up. It's something I can achieve. Maybe it's enlightenment or... Uh, a good life, or maybe just God himself. I can just work my way up to God. Speculation works from the ground up. I can kind of control it, right? Revelation's the opposite. I can't control it. God comes down. He re- and we receive it. We don't achieve it. And Jesus, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Um, it's amazing what the revelation is. It's not like a pithy comment, a self-help book. It's not a, a, a compliment towards you and me, that the revelation is a person. Who's the person, man? You probably see it coming, it's Jesus, right? But are we talking about blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus? <laughs> are we talking about like angry hell, fire and brimstone Jesus? Who are we talking about? We're talking about the God-man. We're talking about the one true God in human form, Jesus. That's who we receive. Now, that is a big statement. Those of you who are, you know, trying to figure out this whole thing, what the heck? <laughs> you know, like God, the God man. What and what on earth? What on earth is going on there? Right. But this is the Jesus we're talking about. This infinite God enters the world as a man to to save people who are just crazy. Right. But if we really want to, if we really want to, you know, kind of learn and grow and, and figure this thing out in this series we're starting, we need to get to know the author just a little bit. You know what I mean? Can you imagine, like, you know, going to the Cavs game now that LeBron's back, and you you don't you don't know what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? What's going on? I want to tell you a little bit about John. He's a fascinating character. Um, John was uh, he was a rich kid growing up. He. Uh, he, he was in his father's fishing business. That doesn't really translate well today, but back then, man, that was like Wall Street, the fishing business. Everyone, I mean, everyone needed that. And and people who did it had a, had a lot of money. And, and John was a young man. He was rich, but he knew how to work. He knew how to row a boat. knew how to swing an axe. Probably had the great tan going on. John, he was a dude. John had a bit of an anger problem. He was a one of those dudes, right? Young man. Has some work to do. He was a... It's fascinating, when, when Jesus called John to follow him, he, he left this great life, you know, where he had money and, and family, which was important in that culture, and, and, he, and he, he followed Jesus to basically become a homeless dude. To, he went around the world talking about Jesus. It's a fascinating story, really. Um, but I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get us to see John because he's writing to us, and it would be good to know a little bit about him. He was bold. Dude, John was bold. The dude couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He couldn't stop doing it. Most historians think that he, was, he, he came to know the Lord in, in his teens, maybe even early to mid-20s, and for, depending on who, you, who you're studying, 60 to 70 to 80 years, John was talking about Jesus nonstop. And the dude, I mean, ups and downs, trials, tribulations, triumphs, whatever. He, he, he went to jail several times, right? He was, he was a persistent dude. He, um, there's multiple examples of him going to prison and either like he escapes or, um, you know, like the guards are converted and they let him out or he just kind of like walks out because the door is magically open. Um, John, he, he was just this persistent man. So finally, check this out, guys. This is crazy. Look here. Finally, they're like, okay, we, prison isn't working. Death row isn't working. Let's just boil him alive. You know what I mean? That's, apparently, that's what they did back then. Let's boil the dude alive. And so they, they put him in the boiler, and he, and he didn't die. He, he escaped from a boiler. What the heck? I don't know if it's inside or outside, but he escaped from that, and he just kept on going, he kept talking about Jesus, loving on people, talking about Jesus, so finally they're like, all right, all right, prison isn't working, Boeing Alive isn't working. Let's just exile John to Guantanamo Bay. I'm just kidding, it was it was it was Patmos. It's an island called Patmos, and that's where John went. Put yourself in John's shoes. You've you've done life with Jesus, you've ministered with Jesus. Jesus ascended, you've been talking about him for 50, 60 years. Um, And now all of a sudden, you're alone. You're all alone as an old man on the island of Patmos. I'm sure you look back with warm and fond memories and just think, and you can't wait to see him face to face, but it had to have been kind of depressing, you know, if you're John. But even then, but even then, Jesus Jesus shows up to John. He sh- that's what the whole book, that's what we'll be talking about. Jesus shows up to John. And, and uh, that's where the book of Revelation, that's basically what it is. Jesus appearing to John, uh, giving him visions of himself and, and what's going on, and John writing it down. Isn't right? it a fascinating story? So, think about um, those of you who you might not agree with this, I still want you to put yourself in this situation. You're, you're, John lived with Jesus. He did life with Jesus. He was, you know, running around preaching, healing, talking, hanging out, going to parties with Jesus, right? And, and we learned that Jesus loved John in a, in a particularly special way. Uh, we learned at one point that Jesus says that John was the disciple who he loved, right? In any family or organization or team, he always ended up having an inner circle, and John was in Jesus' inner circle. Um, And even amongst that three-man inner circle, we see it it appears that John was closest to Jesus than anyone else. When Jesus' mother, (laughs) sorry, when Jesus was going through a pretty tough situation, he called on John to take care of his family, which in that day... That, that's saying something. Jesus had a tender affection for John. He called him son of thunder. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He called him his son of thunder. He brought the heat, right? But like many young men, like myself, John didn't didn't quite get it yet. But Jesus was patient with him. There's this one time where... Um, John, they're fighting, these disciples are fighting on who's going to, you know, be closest to Jesus. And, And John says, Jesus, I want to sit with you in your glory seat. I want to rule and reign with you, and I want you to do what I say. That's what John said to Jesus. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Can you imagine that? He said that to God in human form. I want you to do what I say. I want to rule and reign with you. And if there's ever a time that Jesus could, like, flat-out rebuke a dude. That's right there. <laughs> but he doesn't. Legacy, we need to be careful about this, assuming the worst about people. Jesus discerned his heart. He saw that his ambition was good. He wanted to be close to Jesus. Right? Jesus discerned his heart, but he, he, he saw that he was misdirected. So what did Jesus say? That's cool. He basically said, that's cool. I want you to rule and reign with me, too. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to become a servant. And you've got to die. That's how you rule and reign with me. How many of us young men? That might be a good lesson for us. How many of you young women? That might be a, a good lesson for us. You want to do big things for Jesus. That's great. That's amazing. He's honored. Right? Not kind of. He's honored. Um, but... Do we, do we hear the second part? That, that we have to become a servant. We have to die to ourselves and, and, and live a life for others. I got, I got work to do on that one, man. Put the verse back up there, please. <clears throat> John, here in this opening line, uh, last slide, please, the one before that. Um, he refers to us, he refers to us, he refers to his church, and he refers to us as servants, right? What is up with that? He calls us servants. That's, that's stunningly uncomfortable in our culture, right? I know maybe in church culture it isn't, but, but if, if you were to go up to someone and you start talking and you talk about how your identity is that of a servant to people, that's weird, right? We live in a time where that's the opposite of what our identity is. Our identity is to do what we want as long as it makes us happy, right? That's that's what the meaning of life is. John's coming in and just blowing that idea up. He's saying the whole point of life is to essentially make others happy. Maybe you're checking this whole thing out. Maybe you've never heard such a message. A servant. Man, that's it's in invading my personal space. Or maybe you do know that your identity is that of a servant, but you're living like a hypocrite. <laughs> Sorry. And you need to be warned, right? It's not okay. That's how God sees you. That's He purchased you at a price. And your identity now is that of a servant. Why, why are you struggling with that? Why are you struggling with counting others more important than yourself? I know it's a tough question, man. Imagine preparing. I want us to dream. I want us to think for a minute. What, what would it look like if we believed Jesus when, he, when he, he tells us of our servant identity, that that's who we are now? Can we dream about that together? What would that look like? What would, what would be different? And I'm not just talking about, I know this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, I'm not just talking about whining about your sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living out the reality of who we are in Christ and a life of service to others, because that's who we are as servants. What would be different? Maybe we'd, I don't know, maybe we'd just... get out of our our kind of self-consumed minds where we're not even thinking about other people. I mean, that's how self-consumed we are. They're not even on our mind. (laughs) I don't know. What else would happen? We'd think, I guess we'd pray for one another. More. Maybe we'd, uh, maybe our, maybe our, uh uh-oh. Maybe our view of sex would be radically different. Sex is a life-giving thing as a servant, not a thing for me and my personal fulfillment. Maybe we love Knoxville more. Isn't that the whole point? Right? You see what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get us thinking bigger. Not to gain favor with God, not to maintain favor with God, but because we already are in the favor of God, and it's not humble to sit around in a self-centered little community, you know what I mean? Now don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that's who we are. I'm saying we need to be careful. So, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, I really want you to do that this week, especially those of you you don't know where to start when reading the Bible. Read chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation. We're going to be focusing on chapters 2 through 3. And here, Jesus is appearing to John, man. This is radical. And he's he's talking about seven specific churches, right? So picture seven churches in Knoxville. And and he singles out each church, and he encourages them, right? Because he's with us, and he's in our midst. We don't worship a checked-out king. In other words, we're not deists. Jesus is with us right here, right now, and what Jesus does is he encourages his churches and what they're doing well. And then, uh uh-oh, like the kind king that he is, he challenges the church and where they've gone off the path. Isn't that what somebody truly loves you does? Isn't that what a good doctor does? He doesn't doesn't ignore what's obviously there that you're blind to. Just because it's on your back doesn't mean it's not there, right? What this means is there's going to be a lot of opportunities for growth and grace, and man, but it's, it's tough. It's tough. Jesus has some tough stuff to say to these churches, and as we're applying it to us, he's going to have some tough things to say to us, but we need to be encouraged because it's rooted in the reality of who we are already. We're We're his. We're his servants. That's our identity. So, just uh, if you're a writer-downer, you might want to write this down. Hopefully this is really encouraging. Can you go to the next slide? What we're going to be doing is we we want to um, maybe get under, identify maybe, clear four myths about Revelation. One, I know it's kind of frank, but that it's only for religious and spiritual weirdos, you know what I mean? It's not the case. It's just not the case at all. We live in a, um, I was talking about this with someone, we live in a time and a place, guys, where um, we're used to just, um, you know, we go to church and we get like four moral points and like some doctrine we learn and, and, and that's what we think um, the Bible is. But we forget that the Bible is a beautiful piece of literature And that there's different genres to it, right? So, uh, Revelations, uh, I think it's safe to say it's a different genre. There's lots of, it's called apocalyptic. There's lots of crazy imagery and weird stuff going on. And it doesn't translate well to the modern mind. But I think if we just start from there, maybe we'll understand it better. It kind of be like if you, if you're like putting on your iPod or whatever, Pandora, and you kept putting on country music, Right? but it was techno, right? If you're expecting country but you're getting techno, that's going to be kind of weird, right? It's a whole different, it's a whole different genre. We've got to have a different lens through which we, we see it. Right, now I know some of you are saying, but it's so weird, right? It's not understandable. And seriously. but. But if we take ourselves out of our situation, a lot of, a lot of historians say that the book of Revelation was designed to be understood by a three-year-old. Those of you who have young kids, you might want to try this. <laughs> Read the book of Revelation to your kids. It's a picture book, man, with dragons and beasts and kings and princes and princesses, right? Yeah, there's a lot of weird details that we can't quite understand, but the, the whole point's actually pretty simple, Alright, Remember the big idea. There's a victorious king and his name's Jesus. And he comes for the weak and needy. so we want to get under that myth, that it's only only for religious people, That's not understandable, that it's not relevant, right? Um, We also need to get over that, um, you know, the relevant thing, that it's, it's just about this future date that we don't know about, and like the Incans and Aztecs told me about it, and, you know, it's like, what? The book of Revelation is about the future. That's one of the main themes. But as John will show us, it's also about worshiping our victorious king and warrior hero now in the context of real life and the nitty-gritty grind it's so relevant it's not even funny I just hope God will help us to see that and also I hope we get over that um, the book of Revelation isn't important that it's just kind of an add-on to the Bible you can't really understand it it's it's weird the book of Revelation actually references the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book combined. It's, it's littered with Bible. It's just in a different art form. All right. So I want us to get excited. I want us to get pumped. I want us to, to um, be willing to grow and, and, and just some of the big ideas on Revelation. And don't just take, next slide, please. Don't just take my word for it. Be, be encouraged to check it out. Some of the four big ideas. Just one, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the victorious king and what he did on that cross. Man. It's all about Jesus. It's, God's, it's about God's people living out the reality of the king's victory right now. We'll see it, man, in chapters two and three that we're getting into. It's, it's real ground level. This will be unnatural for us. It's about God's people suffering well and keeping an outward heavenly perspective towards God and people and the environment. It forces us to think outward and not just about ourselves. And it is about the future. Revelation is about the future, though. We have a destiny. We have a hope. We have a home. Our Father is waiting to prepare for us. And he's pumped about it. And our victorious king is going to bring it, is going to bring that world to come, to pass. He's going to bring heaven down to earth. And everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be. I can't wait. So Revelation's going to help us with that. Help us dive deeper into the big idea that Jesus is the victorious king. All right. So back to, the, back to the beginning real quick, um, remember, if we were Jesus and we were about to minister to these seven churches, man, it would have been so easy to just be the therapist, right? You know, look down on your church that you love dearly, and instead of encouraging them and what they're doing well and challenging them and where they're being unfaithful, it would have been easy to just kind of turn into a therapist. Why? These churches, were, man, these guys, these churches—they're going through harsh situations. You know, this isn't, um, you know, mom and pop churches where everything is, is is designed to put out this facade that everything's going fine. And 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 it's no, things aren't going easy. They're they're being they're poor, they're persecuted, they're under pressure. It would have been easy just to be the therapist, but he's. He's also our general who helps us in our fight. So, just real quick, get us prepared. Just four questions for us moving forward. Uh, Do we believe, legacy, do we believe that Jesus is with us in our midst? He's with us, man. Revelation uses the image of a lampstand. He's present. He's not checked out. Not just here at the gathering, but all through the week. Right? With our spouse, with our kids, in our job. When we're doing that again. Do you believe with us in our midst? Do we want our kind king to tell us what we're doing well? Are you open to your king encouraging you? It can be helpful, man. Encouragement and affirmation can go a long way. If we're not careful, legacy, we develop this culture where it's like all we do is talk about the negative. How about we encourage one another, affirm one another? We'll learn about that. Don't hear me wrong. We've got to get real, we've got to get transparent. Here's where it gets fun. Do we believe that heaven is an eternal party and that this life, this short life is a war? We get it flipped, right? We think that this life is supposed to be a big party and that the next life, I guess, is gonna still be a big party. But, but we see in, in the book of Revelation, this life is a war. And I know that word is weird in our culture. It has lots of negative images, but um, this isn't an unjust war. This is a, a, the greatest war of peace the world has ever known. The war to for for things to be the way it's supposed to be by the power of the victorious king And heaven is an eternal party that can motivate us in our day-to-day living With Jesus our victorious king And lastly This is going to be hard especially for everyone especially some of you men Um, rugged individuals that you are? Um, Do we believe that the war can't be lived alone? Right? The whole point is you need to be in the General's Army with other brothers and sisters. And that the mission is to tell more people about the victor, Jesus. Those are just some questions to help us think. Um, because remember, and worship team can come up whenever. Are they already up here? Um, Revelation: Grace is received. It's a free gift, right? And that free gift works. It works. It doesn't sit still. It's received, and He works it out in us. And it's only for the weak. It's only for the needy. It's only for the desperate. So if your heart isn't there yet, it's going to be really hard to learn. It's going to be really hard to learn. Jesus gets the glory when he takes jacked up people (laughs) and he uses them to reach more jacked up people. Then it's not about us. He's the hero. He's the victorious king. Can you stand with me real quick? We're going to pray. What we do now is we really want a time, especially after an intense sermon where you can reflect and, and work things out and see what God's doing and sing and maybe talk to people or, or whatever, really. Um, we have what's called communion in the back, and that is a uh, it's a visual gospel. What, what's been going on for the last 30 minutes or so, you've been hearing the gospel. What communion is, our, our king is with us. He's... he's he also gives us a visual gospel to remind us of, of what, what he did for us. That's um, what the communion is. It's a reminder that Jesus is with us and he loves us. And it's a foretaste. Check this out. Look here, guys. When you're, when you're taking the elements, it's a foretaste of the eternal party where you're going to be sitting with Jesus at that table, feasting. It's a foretaste of that. I encourage you. We encourage you to go back there with friends, family, spouse, anyone really uh, to to be reminded visually of, of Jesus and who he is. But please, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you so much that uh, you're our victorious king and that um, you've won. You're the victor. You you beat stuff. You beat uh, our slavery to sin, to ourselves. You beat our slavery to... Um, Satan. You beat our slavery. It's all these things that are keeping us from experiencing you. And we thank you that you come for the weak things of this world and you make us servants who work for the good of the city. We love Knoxville, Jesus. We love it so much. We hope that we can be a life-giving presence here. Uh, show them what, uh, what you look like. Um, whether we're at work uh, worshiping you through our work and helping the city, whether we're at home, with our family. We ask that you'd help us see that you're our lampstand, that is that you're, you're present with us in our midst, um, helping us become who we already are, your, uh, your servants. Uh, so we love you. We can't wait to see you. Um, and we just ask that you teach us a lot in this next season. In your name, amen.